Hello everyone, how you doing? This is Aaron Maurer, aka Coffee Chug, here with another episode on Living on the Edge of Chaos podcast. Guys, before we get into this incredible conversation I have with Becky Keene, an amazing educator, author, thought partner, and just all around amazing person who helps so many, I just want to let you know that this conversation is actually part of a series that I'm leading for a bunch of ed- educators that I work with to support called Putting Out the Fires of Online Learning. And so this is just one of the many modules developed for educators that help them survive, have some sanity, and I should say save their sanity, and just learn through their own process with support um, that they are indeed enough, they have the capabilities, they are professional enough to get it done. But sometimes we just need a little support, a little direction, and a few little quick wins along the way. So if you're interested in that, make sure you check out the show notes, the links to all the sessions, all the resources, all the things. It's it's available for anybody, not just those that I support in Iowa, um, but for any of you that need it. And if you have any questions, uh, want to know more, as always, feel free to reach out. All right, my friends, enjoy this episode with the amazing Becky Keene. Woke up at six o'clock in the morning, chilling with coffee mugs, me and coffee chugs, talking education all across the nation, pushing boundaries, thinking innovation. Aaron Mauer, outside the box thinker, here to teach each and every teacher how to tinker. Living on the edge of chaos, born insane. Listening to coffee chugs like caffeine for the boring. One of the top teachers in Iowa, word is born. Here to show the world that there's more here than corn. Uh, Aaron Lauer, a.k.a. Coffee Joe. Guys, we are here with another session. This is going to be, I think, the, the foundation for many sessions to come in our Putting Out Fires of Online Teaching PD. Uh, I'm speaking with a, a very special guest, someone who I hold in high regard. Like to consider her a, a long distance friend, even though we haven't seen each other face to face in quite some Years. time due to all the reasons. Um, <laughs> yeah. But we're here today to talk about assessment, and and not in the ways mm-hmm. that that maybe you're, you're used to talking about assessment. Many educators who are now teaching in hybrid or in online virtual environments are just they're asking for help with how does assessment work? What does it look like? What do we do when we don't have the kids in our four cylinder walls? And so before we dive into that contact and and really dive into some of the ideas that, that our guest has, Becky, I want to make sure people know who you are and what you do and all that good stuff. So let's start with that. Why don't you go ahead and let everybody know all those good things about you, what you do, your work. I mean, that right there could be the whole show, but um, we'll, we'll send it your way. Yeah, like we call it credentialing, right? Where you're like, really? I know what I'm talking about, I promise. Yeah. <laughs> um, and it's so awkward. But yes, hi, everyone. Thanks to Aaron for inviting me to join you virtually by recording. Um, I'm Becky Keene. Um, I'm on Twitter, at Becky Keene. And I'm sure Aaron will provide that in the resources. Um, but basically, I'm an educator like you, but I'm not in a classroom anymore. So you are the warriors. Um, I spent 15 years teaching elementary and middle school in an urban school district south of Seattle, Washington, which is where I live. And I um, then moved on to a specialist level um, with my school district where I supported our one-to-one laptop initiative for about 10 years. And this is my fifth year now working for a education consultancy company. So basically, I, um, as director for I2E, I get to work with school systems all over the United States. I advise on best practices, on professional learning. I help design content for educators. And I recently published a book on how to use collaboration, communication, 
strategies and more. Uh, there's seven of them, seven C's in education. So uh, I have a heart and a passion for education, and I'm super excited to be talking about assessment because that's that's a hot topic, Aaron. It is. It is. It can be a hot topic for for a variety of reasons, and and just to set yeah. the stage for those that, that are that are watching this for their learning is, you know, this all started with with Facebook, and and it's funny. This is like 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 the the the, the third conversation I think in a row I've had now where I feel like the education conversation has really grown really strong in Facebook, and maybe that's a conversation for another day. Mm -hmm. But a lot of people, I think, I'm finding a lot of value in there, and and you had mm -hmm. shared an article on Facebook just so people are are aware of of how this all came to be and the links will be in the in the in the pd for everybody but it was an article published in education week called what to do about cheating on assessments in virtual learning and yeah. and it's a really good article um i think there's, there's i may have I, had some opinions you, you may have had some opinions <laughs> typical and, and and so and surprisingly this is not a new topic especially for someone like you who oh, right. you wrote about this actually in the wall street journal back in 2006 about about legalized cheating and and as you're yeah. You were moving to one-to-one -to -one environments and i think here we are now where more people are, are teaching either one-to-one -one, online hybrid remote what insert right. insert the framework here um and and we're realizing that a lot of things that maybe we thought worked face-to-face -face are, are mm -hmm. for sure not working online so yeah. i don't want to like rehash the whole article and all those things so people can check it out but i just yeah. want to give you some 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 space here to kind of elaborate a little bit about the sure. idea of the article your article and and just some thoughts around assessment in particular as, as a lot of people are grappling i think with this very topic of like how do we do this and what does it look like absolutely i think you know for a long time in education we've had this environment where we depend on quick whether it's formative or or summative assessments that are, you know, auto graded, that have right and wrong answers. Um, we call them Googleable. You know, like if you can Google yeah. the answer, um, and and that and that's okay. Like I want to just give permission. <laughs> right, right. There, like, it's okay to give a quiz. Um, and and so, but but what has happened is, if we over depend on those platforms to give us our whole picture of student understanding. I believe we're really selling ourselves short. Um, and when I started teaching and, you know, the workload that comes with teaching and I would I would be so tired and my husband would actually say to me, you, you know, you're the one that assigned that. Right. Like <laughs> you, you don't have to grade it. You're the one that gave the assignment. And I was like, oh, um, so I, I really started shifting pretty on in my teaching career. I was surrounded by amazing people. I was given lots of PD and project based learning and problem based learning. And and I really started to embrace that idea of, OK, what if we were OK with every student having full access to a Googleable answer? Right. And I'm I taught middle school humanities, so language arts and social studies, um, along with an elective or two. But that was my target. So in I started shifting like, OK, what if what if I I didn't care if students had memorized the date the Civil War began in the United States? Like, what if I'm OK with the fact that they are going to have access to technology for the rest of their lives to find that information? But what if it's more important to me that they understand what causes a civil war as this like bigger picture theme? And if that's my priority, then I can totally change my assessment. 
because my priority is no longer, you know, can you rattle off this information? And I'll use the same example in world languages. I, I mean, I can give an example from like literally every content area, but just to kind of set the stage, um, I was helping a teacher once a few years ago who was really frustrated because she had students joining distance her world language class. And, and so, because they didn't like offer the same language at every school, right? Sure, and so yeah. she was teaching, you know, kids from other schools were joining her class. And she's like, she's like, I'm sure they're all cheating on my language quizzes, right? Because they're just like looking up and using online translators. And I said, well, yeah, I'm sure, <laughs> I'm, I'm kind of sure they are. Like, um, and she said, well, what do I do? And I said, well, like, what if we, you, what do you really want to, to know? Like, do you want to know, do they know all these words or do you want to know that they can use them, you know, properly? And so we started talking about small, 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 small changes like her food vocabulary unit. You know, instead of taking the quiz, the students um, narrated a little one minute video on their favorite foods. Right. And so we didn't take the quiz and do the video. We just did the video. Um, and so it's it's actually reducing some workload for everyone because I'm not having to look at those grades and, you know, enter them in somewhere. And instead, I'm doing something that's more authentic, more conversational. And she came back to me and said, I could not believe how much I learned about my students, not only as people, um, but also things that she couldn't assess in an online quiz, like inflection and sentence structure and and, you know, things that are important to language, like their, you know, their accent enunciations were all off. And she's like, I never would have known that right. had I just given a quiz. So I think focusing on what do we really want our students to know as human beings and how can they communicate that to me in a way that's really authentic and personal opens up all these doors. Um, yeah. So. No, yeah, and as you're talking, I think, you know, a lot of key things there, you know, I think one of the things is like like those small steps, right? So we know oh, yeah. in, in, in the current situation, if we had plenty of time for PD and could get stuff, like we could really maybe <laughs> get to these bigger ideas. But for now, it's like, but, but even with big ideas, you have to start small. I mean, I think about it, whether it's like fitness, like you're not going to go out and run a marathon your first day. You, you might have to go out and just, just walk a mile and then you build up a capacity and you move things. Yeah, or walk so, 500 feet. Like yeah. we're all at different places here. Yeah, heck yeah. And so as, as, as you're working with people, I mean, I know this is, uh, area that you're very passionate about and and obviously you have a book that that it's not all assessment but it does correlate to a lot of of the work of assessment yeah. to, to really figure out what is it we're going to teach and how do we know that kids can 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 you know show some proficiency in those things right what what are some of those strategies as you're talking like i think majority of educators would be like yeah i've heard of pbl maybe they've been to training maybe they haven't but sure. they know what it is they 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 know all the things like but i think the reason that we keep coming back to like the way we used to do things and 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 there are some good things in the way we used to and there's things yeah. that not so i'm not trying to say everything in the past is bad but we go back to that because it is all we know like i i really want to do what you're talking about becky but i don't know what to do so therefore i'm going to give a, a a form that automatically grades because 
I'm stressed. I'm exaggerated. Right. I don't know what to do. Right. And I have to show something like, you know, I have to like, right. so, so, <laughs> kids so, have to do something. Yeah. So, so yeah. as you work with people, I yeah. mean, like your, your, your language example is, 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 is a, is a wonderful one that's to think on, but what are some other little things that, that people can think about? Cause I think so many are going to go, yeah, I agree. I still don't know how. Right. Right. I think that, so understanding by design is such a great model, that whole backwards design thinking where we start with the end in mind, we start with where do we want kids to go, um, and then we we back chain, and I, I'm i going to like step aside for just a half a second here, because you said something I wanted to capture that's really, really important to me, and when I speak, um, I've gotten to travel and speak to educators all over, and I I want to point out that there's two levels of innovation here. There's disruptive innovation, which is uncomfortable for like 80 to 90% of our teachers. And then there's incremental innovation, which is still innovation, is still moving the needle, it's still doing amazing things, and it's still stretching out of your comfort zone, but it feels doable to almost everyone. Yeah. Right? And so I, I want to point that out because I think sometimes in, especially the ed tech space, which you and I are so active in, we really tend to idolize disruptive innovation. Like, look what's happening. This is amazing. Right. And these stories are are so, um, oh, what is the word? It's it's difficult for most educators to, to see how to get there because, and, and what we see, it didn't happen overnight for that educator either. Right. Right. It's been a growing. And then we see this shining example. We're like, I can never get there. So I want to just like give a shout out to incremental innovation and how that is what moves the needle. So when we so to get back to understanding yeah, no, by design, I love it. I love it. Yes. Right? we go like we start with the end in mind. We think, what do I want kids to know and be able to do? And it doesn't have to be a unit. It can be just this one lesson. So another example, I tagged you on Twitter like a couple hours ago, Aaron because this came up in my Facebook memories from five years ago where my son came home and he was like, I had to do this quiz today in math, right? And he had to fill in all the numbers because the task was, okay, first grader, how many numbers do you know? And and he like diligently had to hand write in, you know, and then he ran out of time, like most kids will do. <laughs> and so he told me when he got home, mom, the funniest thing, I only got to 70. He goes, but there were five rows of 10 left on the page. So I could have gotten to 120 if I'd had more time. But what's weird is the direction said number to 200, but there aren't even enough squares for that. So I think she forgot to copy the back. Like, <laughs> this is the level, you can go check it out on Twitter. Yeah, this, yeah. This up, is oh, the yeah. level of thinking that he's doing. What he was assessed on was could he write numbers quickly? Mm. And... So I think when we're talking about incremental innovation, that example is very small. The teacher wanted to know, can these children write numbers? But what she learned was, can they write numbers quickly? Right? Yeah. So I think it would have been, in this case, much more effective to do something. And I'm going to say Flipgrid. I know you're going to do some sessions later. But for example, if the students had to like, think of some numbers in their day, like how old they are, or what time they woke up, or how many people in their home, or, you know, some, some numbers yeah. in their life. Uh, how, you know, if you could have as many popsicles as you wanted, how many would that be? 
and then they had to to give those answers and write the number in on the screen in Flipgrid, which you can do. And then the teacher watches like now we've evaluated. Can they write numbers? And it was way more interesting and exciting, right? Yeah. Than can you? So I think just helping us understand, and I'm sure there's some educators listening who are like, well, no, really, she wanted to know, can he write every number and is it in order? And I hear you, I do, I'm yeah, not trying yeah. to minimize that. But if we start thinking about holistically, what do I really, really care about? And then how could I have kids show me that in a way that they can't just regurgitate from something they saw online? Yeah. And we see that happen, I see in education, in the really upper grades, like high school, when we're looking at like language arts classes and economics classes and even the sciences, kids are writing, you know, lab reports and these massive essays that, you know, we're checking in with Turnitin, we're making sure they're not, you know, just scamming someone else's paper, but mostly have been completely written from scratch and personalized if we've yeah. asked for that. Um, unless they're just, you know, totally cheating by lifting someone else's essay, which we all could have done for the last 50 years. That's not right. new. Yeah, yes. Right. But it's this middle window, I, I feel like, uh, um, especially math uh, and world languages, where kids are called upon to just hit me, hit me with information, hit me with answers but we really didn't find out what they knew. Mm. Um, so, you know, do do I know that kids understand fractions? Is a fraction quiz the best way to do that? Um, you know, maybe not. Yeah. Especially especially with apps like, you know, Photomath and and Wolfram Alpha and OneNote will just give the answer now. And so we're having to think about instead of giving a fraction quiz, how can I have my students show me that they understand fractions? Um, and behind you, Aaron, you have a Minecraft screen. Yeah, absolutely. And Minecraft is such a great way to teach fractions because there's all these colored blocks. It's like having a manipulative kit in your house. Yeah. <laughs> um, and it's like, you know, widely available. So I think for, for most teachers that I've worked with, figuring out how to get there is the problem. Like they know what they want kids to be able to do and demonstrate understanding on, but that's like, they need some ideas mm. on how to get from A to B. Yeah, and I think, don't you think some of that too comes with, as you're talking, I keep thinking, I'm coming back to this idea of like giving ourselves permission. Um, I was totally I gonna go there next, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I think it's like, as, as you're talking, I, I just, don't I mean even maybe teachers that are they're just super struggling and for whatever reason like I, I just don't think they they would disagree too much with things I mean they might with things here like but I think it comes back to like how do I give myself permission I think about my own wife um, back in the spring when we were like em emergency teaching you know now we're in yeah. hybrid and remote teaching but in the spring it was emergency teaching like we just totally. gotta we got to get stuff there. And yeah. I think about how she took like her algebra, she's eighth grade algebra and used Flipgrid, which is what you referenced there too. And, and she gave the kids like, here are two problems. Um, you pick one and explain your reason and, and you're going to solve it and then talk, talk me through it. Um, 
And yes, even it. if a parent helped before, even if they use an app, even all those things, they still have to be able to explain and justify their thoughts. And I think most teachers can easily sniff out whether Becky truly understands it or not, you know, through the explanation, um, even if they had all the supports and if they did great. Um, but I think there's even another layer of, of awesomeness that comes when we think about rethinking our assessments. You're the teacher, Becky. You give me a quiz. I fill out the 10 questions. I turn it back in. I get an eight out of 10, 10 out, whatever it might be. We move on. You know, yay, mm -hmm. okay. Um, I think about a tool like Flipgrid. It doesn't have to be Flipgrid, but that's just where we are right now. Um, when you give me an assignment, I fill it out. I send it back to you. You can then respond back to me. Um, and in Flipgrid, that could be audio, it could be a text comment, and it could be with any kind of tool. But all of a sudden now, what we're doing is we're also building relations, we're building trust. As a, as a student, I'm going, wow, you know, this is Becky. Yeah. She really she really cares about me. She actually listened to my video. She actually listened to all two minutes and told me at this moment, I need to rethink this. Like, and yeah. I think one of the things that's really that a lot of teachers are struggling with, it's not assessment, but it's also how do we build relations when kids don't have to show their video screen. Yeah. They may not have to attend a live call. All they have to do is kind of show that they're getting the work done and showing proficiency. And I know there's different criteria for different schools. So I know that's not the case for everybody, but I think right. there's an opportunity with authentic assessments in, in these platforms, whether we're using, you know, like Minecraft behind or a Flipgrid or, you know, gathering some stuff through Wakelet, we can also build the relations, which I think is just as valuable as the understanding or lack of understanding of the learning as well. Oh, a hundred percent. Because if, and, and that, you know, gets us into a whole nother trajectory of class culture and like now we're into you know if your kids care about what they're learning then they're not going to cheat because they want to learn it I mean it's the whole yeah. umbrella and you know there's there's this group of students who will always do what you ask them to do no matter what because that's who they are yep. there's a group who will never do what you've asked them to do because that's unfortunately who they are and that makes yep. us sad those are the ones we lose sleep over um, and then we have that group in the middle who's like oh make it worth it yeah. Um, and, and I taught in a, in a rough area. Um, uh, Kent School District, where I worked, has the most diverse school in the now in the country, is what I heard. Now, fact oh, wow. check me on that. But um, 140 languages, it's extremely diverse. And so there's a lot of challenges that come with that, you know, family challenges, um, you know, gang issues, drug and alcohol issues, even at the middle school level. Um, all sorts of things happening. So I don't ever want people to see, you know, hear me talk and then be like, well, you know, <laughs> that doesn't work. Like those are here. And I even after I'd been out of the classroom for a few years doing the coaching role, I went back to the same middle school and adopted a class to do my national board teaching mm. certificate because I thought it was so important to be relevant. I'm like, yeah. Let's go back. And I just did my ISTE certification this last year. And um, during this, the first round of school closures, Washington State went, we're out. Like, mm -hmm. there was an equity lawsuit. There were things happening. And there was three weeks of nothing for kids in Washington. And and so I was like, sign me up. So I actually <laughs> taught a group of kids for three full weeks, like, I was their classroom teacher because me and the other parents were like, we're not letting this happen. Like, right. I was like, I was like, I'll do it. So that is not the same as being in it full time. But I, 
I like I hear you because I had right. to go in and do the same same struggles with like you know kids are struggling with connection I can't they can't even join like this kid is always on mute this kid is never on mute <laughs> um, you know we were doing the whole remote thing and and so I got to see those struggles again firsthand which is like again your warriors teachers yeah. um, but I I do think there is room in our, you know, in our work, because it removes other work. Mm-hmm. And that's, I think, where we have trouble learning new, learning new things as humans. I have to know this is going to replace something. Um, you know, I don't get a new kitchen appliance and, and like, oh, great, now I have six ways to toast my bread. Like, it's got to replace what you were doing before, or you don't, it's not worth it. Yeah. So I think for teachers in planning, you're asking about what are the baby steps? The baby steps are you have to remove something from your workload if you're going to replace it with a new and different way. It can't just be an add. And so in some ways, it's an all in, which takes that permission that you were talking about, Erin, where I can't say to myself anymore, you know what, I'm going to give all those auto graded quizzes and I'm going to have my students show me that they understand uh, the anatomy of a cell by building a diagram in Minecraft, yeah. or I'm going to have my kids show me they understand this characterization in this novel we just read with a wakelet story. Um, I can't do that and still be giving pop quizzes all the time. Like I've got to reduce my workload. Yeah, so I... you've got to give yourself that permission to, to move forward and say, you know, what is the worst that could happen here? Yeah. And I think, I think that is, you know, try so many important things. And I, as you're talking that it's one to give us permission to try something different, but permission to let go because mm-hmm. we're going to burn out. And I, and I do say yeah. we, I think, I think teachers do have it the hardest of any role in education. Admin's probably right up there too. Um, yeah. But we're all feeling it. And if, if we don't learn to let go, we're, we're just not going to make it. You can't, no. you, you can't work 16, no. 20 hour days, seven days a week. It's just not a, a, a successful model. And I think a lot of people are so we're people working, are. working so hard and yeah. not getting to where they want to be. And so, you know, then, go ahead. Yeah. Oh, kind of, that's another trend that I've seen totally in helping educators, both, you know, people I'm personally friends with colleagues, school systems that I do for my job where they're spending so much time figuring out how to exactly replace what I used to do, right? Like how, how am I going to get kids to turn in this, this worksheet that I've always used and it's a really solid worksheet and it's got really great stuff on it. So I'm going to send it to them and they're going to print it out at, you know, and then they're going to scan it on their parents' phone and then they're going to upload it back. Like it's, that's massive for everyone. Yeah. Yeah. When I could make the really hard decision to say, you know what? I got I to gotta table that for at least for now and figure out a different way that I can get to the same outcomes in a way that now works and is yeah. simple for everyone. So that direct replacement, you know, if you do the SAMR model, substitution, augmentation, yeah. modification, redefinition, we're kind of forcing people right into that M modification level <laughs> because substitution is just too hard. Like, it's just too much work. I, I can't. <laughs> And it's so much work. It is. Um, and if we took that out for like, you know what? I just can't do this anymore. Um, 
I have this little favorite story that I tell um, of a wonderful educator I worked with my very first year of teaching. And we were told, you know, by the school, like you all are, and we're also going to be teaching this curriculum this year. And you're like, when am I supposed to fit this in? And so we're in a team meeting and she said, I, I, I just don't know when we're going to do this because that that whole month I do my dolphin unit. And I was a brand new teacher and, you know, just really learning my standards and understanding everything. And I said, I'm sorry, your dolphin unit? Like, what did I miss? You know, and she's like, yeah, I do dolphins every year. We read Island of the Dolphins. We go on a field trip to the aquarium. We study marine biology. I mean, she had this amazing unit for her students that touched no standards or curriculum whatsoever. And she was this wonderful seasoned veteran teacher, but at some point she had to let go of the dolphin unit, mm. right? Because it's like, it just didn't work anymore. And yep. so I I feel that with educators we are like, I've always done it this way and, and you're amazing at your job that way, but the world has changed. And so we have to let go of the dolphin unit and say, yeah. well, I'm sad, I can grieve it, it doesn't work, but what else can I do? And it sounds like you're gonna offer so many tips and strategies around getting going with some of those incremental innovation new ideas. Yeah, I mean, I think that's the key is as we, as we kick continue to kick things off, looking at some of these other opportunities that are out there like Flipgrid and and Minecraft, not just Minecraft, but game, you know, some games, some game, in games general. Are, are huge, especially yeah. if we have to think about the virtual and hybrid units, you know, and using Wakelet and bringing some, and Pear Deck and, and some of these, these tools that I think can really start to uh, strengthen some of these uh, connections with the learning and assessments and the relations and, and you know, that kind of full circle. And um, and so it, it, it is exciting. I mean, I think, again, this is really the foundation um, for a lot of educators to be thinking about, you know, the, the permission, the permission to try something else to, and the permission to give yourself the, the, the freedom to, to do it. Um, because I think this is the, the, the key that um, while we are in, in, in tough times, um, the beauty of this is nobody nobody has the right answer. There is not an answer key to this. And so um, mm. trying to get people to realize like those things that you've always wanted to do that maybe you didn't have permission, maybe you didn't have time, maybe yep. you were told no, maybe you had all that curriculum that was dumped on your plate. You now have an opportunity to do those ideas because nobody can really tell you if that's a good or bad idea because nobody <laughs> understands this frontier. I mean, they're, they're, they're I think it's going to be great. Go yeah, for it. <laughs> and do it. And I think, you know, I think it comes back to the idea of permission, you know, and I think so just, just trying, trying those things out. And I think, you know, as, as, as we're talking, I was trying to frame out like, what's the challenge going to be for this PD? And I was thinking like, gosh, man, do we, do we tell them to, to try, try Minecraft or, or try Flipgrid? And I think the right. challenge is something even more powerful. And, and, and then you throw your two cents in here too, if you want to either argue or, or add to it. <laughs> I think the challenge here really is for this one. Um, before we get into maybe some of those, 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 those small changes is, your challenge is to give yourself permission. And I almost see like, what is it that you're doing that's causing you a lot of stress and anxiety or maybe things that aren't working like you thought they would and, and figuring out to let that go and what are you gonna do instead? Um, and I think that's hard. That's, it is. that's a hard self-internal conversation. And obviously we have colleagues and stuff, but I think, you know, as, as you're talking, Becky, that wasn't my original thought with the challenge. And, and if you have another challenge to throw on there, because, uh, you know, choice is always good. But I really think that's a that's a pivotal 
pivotal concept for us to think about because if we're not willing to give ourselves permission to let go and try something, the rest of the learning, you know, it really becomes irrelevant. Yeah. I would just, I would piggyback that to permission to let go. And it doesn't mean, you know, letting necessarily even letting go of all your stuff, but also letting go of what you think works and doesn't work. Mm. So another quick example of this, uh, My my son is now, you know, beyond writing numbers. Um, he's a middle schooler. And one of his teachers told the students on the first day of, of remote learning this fall, you can use the chat all you want as long as you're not distracted from learning. And when I'm talking, you're focused. And let me tell you, for most teachers, that's like anxiety through the roof, right? Like, yeah. I, just, I just said that. And... I was so impressed by that. And I said to my son, well, what happened? And he's like, I don't know, some kids posted stuff. And then when he was talking, like most of us just paid attention to what he was saying and they kind of like screwed around. And those are the two kids who kind of would have been screwing around in the back channel anyway. Um, But instead of making it this hill to die on, that teacher chose to just own it. Like, I know you have a chat, kids. Here's what I expect. I expect you to be social creatures and use the chat, but pay attention when I'm talking. And then he can approach those students who were not using the chat appropriately individually and say, hey, I noticed you were kind of, you know, when I was talking, I need to write and build a relationship with those kids. But it's hard for some of us because we're so used to having what we perceive as control over our environment and now we've totally shifted the environment and so for some teachers comfort comes with high levels of control yeah and that can be actually more of a struggle long term so it's not only permission to let go of maybe a way you've always done things but also permission to let go of micromanaging every single piece of your world because there's not enough energy in it in anyone to keep track of all that. And some of it you have to just say, you know, like we, we're not going to compromise student safety. We're not going to, right. We're not going to compromise yeah, 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 yeah. student privacy. Like we've got our lines, but some of it you have to be like, you know what? They're doing it anyway. So like, I'm just going to release that concern if you can and know that, 80 to 90% of the time, you're still moving forward in a really positive way. Right. So that would be my other, you know, I, I did the online thing when it was brand new, which is why I was in the Wall Street Journal. I was on World News, like all these different agencies were covering it. And that's one of the things we had to learn is like, they're kind of doing it anyway. So let's let it happen. Keep a sharp eye and help coach kids in a way to use all of it positively. We just have to let go of our, you know, misconceptions. So I'll close with this. Technology simply amplifies uh, behavior, mm. right? So great teaching with technology added on is like, whoop, whoop. Um, great classroom management with technology added on is like, you know, raise the roof. Behavior issues with technology added on are huge. Yeah. So and and that's what makes everybody like so scared about control. But I think that what you just said, Aaron, at the very beginning here was that how do we amplify and empower? And that's what technology can do for kids. So focusing on those positives goes a long way to giving ourselves permission. 
I love it. I love it. And I think, you know, as, as to kind of kind of wrap these, this this conversation up, because I think it's been so powerful and there's lots, I think, for people to think on of, of new ideas and even just thinking of their own self-internal philosophy on education and how to handle these things. And that's something I think why it's keeping a lot of teachers up at night is they're, they're, they're being challenged on a daily basis in these, right. in these new new ways of, of teaching for many people. Um, you know, and I think it's, it's, it's just that what you talked about, it's the idea of letting go. And I think what, what, what's really powerful to me in this whole conversation is we're, we're talking about assessment and how to find out what kids know. And really when we get to the heart of the matter, it has really nothing to do about the assessment <laughs> itself. It's all these other things, you know, ourselves as the educator and our kids and the culture and the learning space. And um, not that there doesn't need to be some more specific focus on assessment, but there are so many other foundational things that we need to Absolutely. really think about for the assessment to work. You know, I mean, I look at it, if you have a uh, poor class culture and, 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 and poor management, things like that, Minecraft is going to be a nightmare for you, you know, <laughs> yeah. you to, but you know, like Amen. if you have the, the settings in place and you have the kids bought in, they understand the goals and, and how things are going to operate, you will be blown away and get goosebumps at what kids can do. And so yeah. um, I think to me, you know, kind of full circle is that's, my aha um, and this is why i'm just as excited to have people such as yourself come on because while i'm helping other teachers i also know i'm not the expert and, and you've opened my eyes to a lot of things and so um, oh, this I can't, been a great conversation i can't thank you enough and um and so becky i'll definitely make sure that all the stuff is within the pd for your your book and things like that but if people are interested in in, in reaching out and, and learning more about you and your work and things like that um i know we'll have the links in there but i always think it's good to have it audio is wise like where can people go to learn more about you? BeckyKeen.com, B-E-C-K-Y-K-E-E-N-E.com. Has all my, you know, my professional links, the book, the blog. I'm in a book club. I do, um, you know, travel speaking. All that is kind of in one space and it links out to everything. So um, happy to happy to connect. And, um, you know, sometimes teachers around the world just ping me with a little question or two and I am more than happy to answer um just like I did for for this yes I, I love know it. you yeah <laughs> I do that for strangers too so yes yes <laughs> well, I, I hope people people taking up on that and I know this conversation and just moving into to some work here is going to lead to that and if nothing else it's also strengthening their their, their PLN as, as they're trying to just you know find yes. more voices and people that 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 they can you know go to for that idea and nudge you know just like looking at Facebook and, and seeing the article and seeing your article, it, it kickstarted yeah. a whole really powerful conversation. And so um, I can't thank you enough, Becky. This has been so phenomenal. And uh, we all appreciate thanks, your ideas and insights. And uh, thanks for all you do for education. Absolutely.